thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The trilogy is finally upon us. UFC 252, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. They're going to settle their grudge match, and we are going to be talking about that, as well as our two other favorite fights on this our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think you should play this week. Our big plus money parlay hit last week, so you're going to want to tune in and get that advice. Plus, of course, we'll be talking to three of the fighters on the show. First, we'll be talking to Herbert Burns, who looks to go 3-0 and in the UFC with three first-round finishes. He'll be talking about that as well as his division in whole. Then we'll be talking to Ashley Yoder as she gets ready for her bout this weekend. And Marwin Vera, who will be in the co-main event against Sean O'Malley. So we'll get to all of that content right now. All right, and joining me today is Herbert Burns, who fights Daniel Pineda at UFC 252 on August 15th. So, Herbert, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that, you know, your last name is Burns. It's synonymous with grappling. People know you and your brother as high-level grappling champions. Do you ever feel the need to, like, you know, prove yourself on the stand-up based on that fact? No, really. I, I, I think the fighting game, the smartest man will win, and if you can take the easiest route to win. That's my always my plan. So if I see I have the advantage on the feet, then I would do that. But so far, all my choices has been take down and look for the submissions. And on this fight, it won't be different. I think Pineda is a guy that does a lot of grappling. He has a lot of submission wins. So hopefully he will accept the grappling against me. And I'll be proof again that I'm the best grappler in the division. And, and yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask, too. You know, you said you're going to take the easiest method. You're going to do the thing that makes the most sense. It, do you think there's anybody in this division where that wouldn't make the most sense? I think, like, I think there are guys that uh, are a world-class grappling in the division. I've put three guys. I think myself, uh, Ryan Hall, and Crown Grace. I think we have the best grappling in the division. It's hard to say who has the best. I believe I have the best, but I'm sure they believe they have the best. But on the BJJ scene, we accomplished the most on the on the federal division. And I'm a completely mixed martial artist. Well, instead of those guys, I think they're mainly grapplers. But I have a completely tool set. Maybe maybe I would just if I have an advantage, if I have a fight in front of them, I have the advance on the feet, I might just keep the fight on the feet, but if not, if they want to take ground, I would not be against that. And, and are those two guys who you've sort of looked forward to fighting in, in this featherweight division? Because it is probably the most stacked division in terms of, you know, accomplished grapplers with, with Kron, yourself, and Ryan Hall. Are those two guys you want to see down the road? I I think Kron Grace is like a, a little behind me on the on the None of us on the rankings, but I'm very close to be. And hopefully after this fight, it will be. But I think Ryan Hall, we can cross our path soon. But I challenged him twice. He didn't, he, he doesn't want to, doesn't seem interested to, to fight me. I understand it will be a, the toughest matchup for him. Good jiu-jitsu, good striking, good wrestling. And so 
he'll be matching the jiu-jitsu area that he has the most advantage in, in his fights. But if he makes sense, I'll fight, but I'm not pushing to, to those fights. And, and that's interesting, too, because Ryan Hall has actually complained that a lot of people have turned him down and that not a lot of people want to fight him. Do you feel like, you know, obviously he's, he's telling his side of the story, but do you feel like, you know, he doesn't want to fight you? I don't think he wants to fight me. But I don't think the fight was offered also. But I've all my interviews at the fight, I challenged him twice. I called him to a fight. And he, in one of the interviews, he answered that doesn't make sense the fight after my first win. After my second win, I called him again, and he got rebooked against Lama. So he's busy now. He should be training to fight Lama. It will be a tough fight for him. But, yeah, if we cross path, we cross path. I called him the guy out twice. He didn't. Seem interested, so I'm not gonna call. Keep wasting my time calling him out. Doesn't seem interested in the fight. Interesting. Now this win will make you three and zero in the UFC. Your first two victories, very impressive, quick victories. If you were to win again here, do you expect to see a number next to your name, and or do you expect a you know a top ten or a top fifteen opponent? I expect to, if after this win, I expect to be inside the rankings, and definitely after that, fight someone inside the rankings. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Now, I, I do want to ask you, too, a little bit more about grappling, because, like I said, the name Burns, the first thing people think of is grappling. We, we've seen your brother kind of go back into the grappling world a little bit, doing some Polaris, some Submission Underground, some Quintet. Do you ever feel the desire to get back into to some of that higher-level grappling, or, or is your focus sort of solely on MMA? I want to do some high-level grappling. I'll be interested and open to a, to a, to a super fight if he... The opportunity presents itself. I teach jiu-jitsu every day. Uh, Burns BJJ System uh, Combat Club right now. And I even, I'm even organizing a grappling tournament at the end of the month. On the on August 30th, is the king of combat grappling. We're having an open class tournament with a prize money and few super fights. A lot of MMA fighters from Bellator, from PFL, from... Even we're trying to get a guy from UFC fighting the tournament. So, yeah, I, I'm interested to, to fight grappling, but the, the opportunity presents itself and it needs to be a good opportunity where I don't have a clash date with my UFC fights. And, and that's awesome that, that you're running your, your own stuff. How did you get into, you know, running your own, you know, grappling promotion? Uh, there's a lot of, like, now, if they are BJJF, not, not running for a while, and a lot of guys still want to compete, still want to experience I know a lot of MMA fighters, and they want to compete. They want to do grappling to get the experience. So I have a lot of, a lot of friends that fight. They're like, hey, you should organize something. You should organize something. And they've been pressuring me for a long time. So this time, um, I got to help with a few people, and, and we are putting that together, putting it together on the August 30th. Well, that, that's very cool. We will definitely be watching that. Now, I do want to ask you, too, a, a couple more questions about the upcoming fight, because like I said, you're fighting Daniel Pineda. You said before that you feel like he's a guy who likes to grapple. Do you expect him to try to grapple you in this fight? Do you expect for him to try to work his stocking? Mm, maybe. I can see that happening, because Pineda is dangerous everywhere. I'm not taking him easy. He's a tough fighter. I think he's he potentially could be more dangerous than Volkanovski, because he has no call power, and he has jiu-jitsu. And Pineda has, like, I think, 18 submission victories. And I think he'll try, but if he try, it won't be good for him. 
the last guy that has a lot of submissions was Derek Miller and tried to to trade Jiu-Jitsu for me and end up finishing him in the first round. So I don't think he'll try, hopefully he'll try, but we need to see. Let's see how the fight will, will present. And, and now I want to turn back to something you said before because you mentioned the Volkanovski in there. He is the, the current champion of your division. The reason you're saying Pineda feels a little bit more dangerous to you, is it because you feel down on, on Volkanovski's jiu-jitsu? Do you not think he's he's a particularly good grappler? He doesn't present submission skills. Even when he got on the ground, he's tried to ground and pound, he tries to control a little bit. But there's nothing like world-class level grappling, trying to threaten submissions for real and transition submission to submission. So, yeah, he's a fighter that has a good striking and good wrestling. He tries to control the fight with those, those two weapons. And, and I, I got to ask, too, because you, you know, you're saying this, this is, seems to be a big glaring weakness in his game. Do you feel that that's the type of person who's going to unseat him as a champion, somebody who is a phenomenal world-class grappler? Yes, definitely. That's what I see. A guy that's using his range, staying, making him be on the outside and forcing him to overreach, to take him down, and then puts the grappling against him. And that could be me. I would, I would love to see that be you. Now, you know, obviously, you know, you're not in rankings. You think this fight will probably put you in there. Do you have a timetable for that? You know, you, you're clearly got your eyes on the prize here. You're already thinking about Volkanovski. Do, do you have a time period for how long you think it might take to get to there? I want to. I'm experienced. I'm 32 years old. I fought in bigger, bigger promotions before. I know how handle pressure. I showed that in the Contender Series. I can fight with. Huge public. I was fighting in Asia before, 25,000 people. I can fight for no public like I did on my on my last fight. So I think I'm ready. I mean, I will do one step at a time. I'm not. I'm not taking it easy. Um, Pineda is a very hard fight. All my eyes are on him. All my attention is to him. All respect to him. He's coming back to the UFC. He paved his way in a different path, and now he's back to the biggest promotion in the world. But I want to do firm steps, and my, my goal is to reach all the way to the top of the mountain. I'm doing, I did two very strong steps, and I keep, I want, plan to do that again on August 15th. All right, and well, we're just about to the end of the interview, and I do got to ask you to give me a prediction. How do you see this fight ending when you do face Pineda on the 15th? I will finish the, I will, the final, the fight to be finished, I will have my hand raised. I'm not sure how yet, because like I said, he's a guy with a completely tool set. He can do striking, he can do wrestling, he can do jiu-jitsu. I'm sure it will be a war, but I, I'll be victorious. Awesome. And you're here first, folks. This was Herbert Burns, who is fighting Daniel Pineda at UFC 252 on August 15th. Herbert, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone from Flow Combat. And see you guys on August 15th. And that interview with Herbert Burns is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, sambo, judo, or any other martial art, log your training sessions with Maroon Social. You can put notes, put different techniques that you've been working on in there, as well as log competitions, weigh-ins, and tag your friends all kinds of cool ways to make sure that you stay on top of your training and make the progress you want. Once again, that's Maroon Social, wherever apps are downloaded. And joining me now is Ashley Yoder, who fights Lavinia Souza at UFC 252 on August 15th. So, 
Ashley, I actually wanted to start by talking about your last fight. You get a split decision loss to Random Marcos, which at this point in time you're no no uh, stranger to split decisions. <laughs> do you go do you go back to the drawing board after something like that? Do you feel like you won? How do you rebuild from that? Uh, yeah, no, you know, at the same time, I like always, I'm just learning and trying to figure out those, uh, ways to get finishes, you know, in the UFC or at the highest level, I haven't uh, had the longest background in martial arts. So, um, when I started my career, I was getting finishes and you start getting tough opponents. You have to be a little bit more intelligent on how you fight. So, you know, it's just a learning process. I always still have fun going out there. If I didn't, I wouldn't be fighting. Um, you know, it's not always the easiest when you come home and, uh, have to like, man, that went really wrong. So where do we go? You know? So, um, yeah, she's fixing mistakes and getting back there. And hopefully this fight will show that I've really grown in the last, you know, year almost. It mentioned your limited amount of time as a professional. I know you turned pro at like 26, which is, is pretty late in the MMA game. Did, did you ever think you were going to be a professional MMA? Like what, what trick made you turn pro or take this hobby and turn it into a profession at, at sort of a later age? Yeah, uh, no, I didn't actually have any idea that I would go professional even when I moved to California just to kind of try it out and see if I liked it. So one of the things that I found when I got out here is the opportunity and the the um, you have the out, the resources and the outlets to be able to take it to the next level. And that was nothing that I thought of. It's just it started coming along. They gave me the opportunities and I really liked it and I was learning more and um, it just kind of fell in my lap. So, it, you know, once I got the opportunity um to go on the ultimate fighter and uh it really just kind of changed my outlook and it took it way more serious that i could use it as like a, a profession so interesting now i know you got that opportunity pretty quick too right like you, you know you're only out of being an amateur not fighting at all two years roughly before you got the ultimate fighter do you feel you're still building your game do you feel like you're still kind of fresh or do you feel like you're sort of like a professional you know, as a pro, yeah, I had uh, not a lot of time before I went to fighter. And, you know, it's it's one of those things I think I like guy because my body hadn't taken the same wear and tear as everyone else that's been professions in other martial arts before they came more uh, martial arts in the U.S. So, but on the other side of it, I had a lot of learning. I still have a lot of learning to do uh, on catching up with, you know, not just being good at one thing, but being well-rounded at many things. And um, as in, in any career path or, you know, hobby, you, it takes a long time to master a craft. And, you know, I really, I'm a perfectionist. So it's like, I'll be hitting you know, I make a mistake. I'll shake my head. Coaches get on to me like, you can stop doing that. So it's just, you know, me trying to learn how to just roll the bench, really, you know, and uh, just have fun and keep learning. Because I feel like if I'm going to be stressed out, I'll learning how to fight at this age. You know, I'm in the wrong career path. So I'm just trying to have fun and uh, know as good athlete as possible. And, and I knew you were an athlete before you became a fighter. So were you hard on yourself like that as, as an athlete prior? No, it's really weird. Okay, so I, I wasn't competitive. You know, I had a big brother, so we were always, like, super competitive. I realized how competitive I was in my very first fight. And then you're like, I, I just got this, I turned a whole new page in a competitive mode of, like, an athlete. Like, I just want to be better on I was always, I'm sorry, getting really hard on myself. And if you knew me the first, and you know, my confidence was there, just because, you know, I'm going against people that, Tessie Masuera is an amazing wrestler, you know, all the professional boxers, kickboxers. My first fight was uh, Jay Esquivel, an amazing athlete, an artist. She also was an amazing kickboxer, boxing. So um, it, it was like, holy crap. I'm like, I, but did I, did, did I chew? Uh, did I bite more than I could chew? Like, so you could really see it. And that's one of the things I kind of had to overcome the show is, you know, um, I'm here for a reason. You know, I, I made it this far for a reason. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been pretty well, you know, trying to hold my own. And the deep water, so uh, I'm not really I'm super competitive at all times in my life now. So it's happening. 
Yeah, that, that, that's interesting to me, too. And was there something about MMA that you feel like made you that Like you said, you were around by some very high-level fighters really early in your career. But, like, was there there's something you said in your first pro fight that that switch flipped? I think, yeah, like, if you've ever been in an MMA fight, like, they always tell you that your first fight, you'll know if you're made for it. And I think one of the things when they say that is, besides, you know, fight or flight, like, you fight or you cover up and just power down, whatever people do that. But when I did it, I was like, oh, she hit me. I want to hit her twice. You know, she hit me. Well, and I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and I've never been in a street fight, so it was, it's actually really comical watching my other fights, or older fights, or even going back home in my uh, small town, like, because I was just like, a class clown. I was a dork. I was not, like, an aggressive, like, a mean person that ever never been in a street fight, so um, I was usually the one to, like, say a joke to get everybody start laughing, so there would be a fight, but, um, yeah, so it was really, it's definitely, I guess, I'm more aggressive than I used to be, so... And what do your family and friends at home think about that? Like, you obviously, you know, your, your hometown knows who you are. You've been you fought five or six times by now. What do they think of Ashley Yoder, class founder? It's really funny. Uh, there's only one. I came from a really, really small school. Like, once the light in our town, um, we had, like, five car watches. But, you know, there was only one. I know one other athlete. He's a NASCAR driver. I came in my um, uh, that came out of my little town. So it's funny that I want to go back because there's like, they can't believe it. Like they, you know, you see me file. Uh, this is my seventh fight in the UFC. I've had two fights on the ultimate fighter. So like it, I've had plenty of time for them to see on TV debate and it just always still amazes them. Like they just, it's like, I don't know. I don't I couldn't do it. I don't know how you do it. But you know, at the end of the day, I take it as any sport and kind of learn it. It's not about the aggressive, uh, bloodiness or the hard work. There's a lot of technical. Absolutely. Now let, let's get to the fight on hand too. Because final Diaz Souza, who you know again another another person around the sport for a long time. Give us sort of your breakdown on this fight and where you see some of your advantages. Um, yeah, I think that this fight is a really really good matchup for fans because we're both very um, all over the place. We like to we both like to scrap, both like to jiu-jitsu. So I see some grappling exchanges, definitely uh, some really gnarly exchanges. I just feel like. Like all my fights, you know, I don't really like the point where it's going to go. But, you know, the one thing about coming into MMA as a true MMA artist is uh, I'm comfortable anywhere. And I think that's something that is hard to figure out a plan against me, except for maybe point fighting me because I'm not understanding, you know, proper, you know, technicalities of that. But um, I like to fight, so I don't mind being just up as a kid in my face, you know. And I really just like to put on a performance with fans, too. So I, I'm excited about that. I think she's really helping me on um the ground she's really good on the, her feet she has joke as well so i'm excited to just see how i up against her and see how my abilities have grown since my last fight and what do you say to that you mentioned in there too that you know point seems to be the way to get past you or at least in by split decision which lessons lessons did you feel more pressure to go out there and be the one to press the action knowing that that's kind of the only way you lost in the last four fights uh i mean i, I think a lot of pressure and i'm really good at being pressured um but at the same time you know it I don't know if it's about really the pressure of a fight. I think it's more like, you no know, understanding, like, uh, give the take one. You know, like, I'll take two punches to give two punches. And I think at the end of this, most of some of those exchanges, when you're taking punches at the end, the, the judges are going to see that, right? So it's just learning how to kind of take less advantage like, give it up. Because at the end of the day, I don't mind being hit. So it kind of works in disadvantage when someone comes to cards because now you're seeing someone's bleed. I believe that. So um, it's never a good sign in the judge's eye. So whether or not I mind that or don't, you know, it doesn't really me at the same time, it, it, it works against you. So it's something that um, I'm trying to be more intelligent on those sides of the fighting aspect and the game of it. But yeah, at the end of the day, when I get the door shut, I just want to have fun do my thing. So hopefully it goes my way. Absolutely. Now, one last question. You know, you said you know, you're very full, that it was a whole bunch of places. You know that you feel comfortable in a lot of different positions. I'm going to ask you for a prediction. Is there a way that you see it ending? Or is there a way you over it ending? Uh, what's the other prediction? <laughs> no, I no, I, I will never tell you. One, there's two things I'll never do. I will not curse myself with 
what I want to happen. And so I will never call out an opponent. So I know that's lame, but it's kind of how I am. I respect everyone, and it's nothing against, like, other respect them out. Just I am not going to put that bad karma or any kind of karma out there, and it work against me or for me. I just want to go out there and just do my thing and surprise everybody. I love the mentality. So once again, fans, this is Ashley Yoda, but the Via Souza at USC 2 video on August 15th. Ashley, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Have a good Hey guys, let me tell you about another awesome app that you got. That last interview with Ashley Yoder is brought to you by Fight Forecaster. You can check them out on Twitter at Forecaster Fight. They are a probability-based pick'em game made specifically for MMA. It's a lot more intricate and it's a lot more in-depth than so many pick'em games. You're doing all kinds of things like talking about the probability of KOs and submissions. Check it out. It's on the Droid store and it's on the Apple store. So make sure you check it out in both of those places and, and give it a try. I highly suggest it. All right, and I am now joined by Marlon Vera, who fights Sean O'Malley as the co-main event of UFC 252 on August 15th. So, Marlon, I, I know you were originally supposed to fight Sean a, a whole year ago. You were supposed to fight him last June. Were you pressing for this bout to get rebooked? Is this a bout that you've had scheduled or thought in your mind for the future? Um, honestly... I'm open to any fight, so I wasn't really chasing this fight or any other. So when they offered me the fight, I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it, you know. I, I was ready. I was in shape, as always. So to me, it's all about being active and, and, and getting the most wins I can in my life. Absolutely. Now, now, I know a lot of smack talk has sort of been coming from O'Malley, a lot of social media stuff. How much of that kind of stuff do you hear, and, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with with all of that. Like, I don't have any any thoughts or answers about it. Like, I really don't pay attention too much uh, about what people say in general. So, I'm focusing myself. I'm focusing the family, and I'm a guy that loves to fucking fight. So, when the fights came, I bring it, and you know, I'm not I'm not thinking about the things. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I know there's also been a lot of hype around Sean O'Malley leading into this fight. Uh, do you think a lot of that hype is deserved? Do you think he is a, a hot prospect, or do you think some of that is, you know, the competition he's faced? Well, you know, good for him. He got all that, you know. That's, that's good for his brand, for his career. And, you know, if I beat his ass the way I'm going to do it, you know, I'm going to get a lot of esteem, so... It's good for, for, for everybody, you know, this type of thing. So I don't hate on, on no one. And I couldn't hate somebody for have a big name. I, I like that. I like that mentality a lot. Now let's talk about the actual fight itself because, you know, Sean is a guy who likes to go in there and throw hands. He's he's shown that he's a pretty talented striker. Do, do you expect to be in there throwing hands with him or, or do you, this is a fight that you see that has to be taken to the ground? Um... You know, this is a, this is the game where you know it's mixed martial arts. So I'm I'm ready for a for a standard fight. I'm ready for a grappling fight. So whatever the fight takes, um, I believe I'm gonna have something for him, and I'm ready for him. And you know, any other guy coming up to me, it's all about what's in front of me, and that's the fight that's right now in front of me. So all my focus is in beating this guy and putting him up. Well, and I love that that's your focus, too, and, and it seems like you've got a really one-track mind here, but I'm still going to ask you, this fight recently elevated to the co-main event of a, a very popular card here with, with Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic's trilogy fight as the main event. 
Do you feel like that that's extra important for, for your branding and getting yourself into the top 15? Of course. It's a, it's a big fight, you know. Um, I wasn't the top 15 until I get rough last fight, but I don't know what it would be. Uh, you know, this is my ticket to get back to it, so I won't let nobody take me out of there uh, because I did one last fight, so, you know, like, I, I, I let my opponent beat me. That was in the hands of the judges, but at the end of the day, right now, is my chance to knock that door again. And after I beat this guy, I'm going to jump a lot of steps, so I'm going to be top 10 plus to the top 5, because that's how things work these days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I am going to ask you, before I do let you go too here for a prediction, how do you see this fight ending with, with Sean O'Malley? Do you think you can be the first one to get him out of there? I'm gonna put him out. That's the only thing I know. I'm gonna put him out. I'm gonna break him. I'm gonna I'm gonna take everything away. And I'm bringing my A game. And I know I'm sure I'm ready for this fight. And I'm gonna fuck him up. All right. Well, a bold prediction there, and you heard it, heard it here first, folks. That was Marlon Vera who fights Sean O'Malley at UFC 252 on August 15th. Marlon, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. And tune in. It's gonna be a fun one. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Marlon Vera, Herbert Burns, and Ashley Yoder. I'm now joined by my co-host Shockwave, Dave Tremonte. Dave, we'll get to the main event in just a second, but what other fight are you looking forward to on this absolutely stacked card? Well, to be quite honest, Gumby, I am very excited about the co-main event, Sean O'Malley and Marlon Vera, but I feel like that would be a cop-out answer when you say besides the main event. Um, and I'll tell you something else. I'm really excited about Rosenstruck versus JDS because I think that clears up uh, a lot of a murky, somewhat top five in the heavyweight division. That feels like a cop-out, too. I think you're looking for me to say some sort of low-key answer that people aren't expecting. So I'll just say I am medium-level excited about Jim Miller versus uh, Vic Cashel because I obviously am a huge Jim Miller fan, and – it's interesting to see if Pichel can get his career back on track, because at one time I was very high on him, the long layoff, he's coming off a win right now. It sort of feels like do or die for him, and uh, who doesn't like a Jim Miller fight? Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I, I do love watching Jim Miller fight, and I'll, I'll tell you another one, too. I, I'm loving this John dodson Marab Davalashvili fight, because... Davalashvili is a guy who I just saw it recently. Do you know there are two guys in history with three fights where they've gotten 10 takedowns? Only two guys in history. And it's Mighty Mouse and Marab Davalashvili, which to me is just like the most insane couple of people to put in the same sentence, right? But like his takedowns are so good. He's on top of people. And a lot of them could probably be deemed Matt returns, right? Like he's got the guys back and he just forces them back down. But like, God, is he relentless, and I'm interested to see how he does against the guy with footwork like John Dodson, because he's not easy to control. Well, I'll tell you what else isn't easy to control, and that's our excitement about our favorite segment on the podcast, fights, dogs, parlays. We're breaking down a couple of fights. We're giving you a couple of live dogs, and giving you a parlay to play for this weekend's action at UFC 252, and it is brought to you by a great sponsor 
someone that we both personally use in our personal life. I'm going to shut up and let you tell the fans who sponsors Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag for the best mobile gambling experience that possibly exists out there. There are so many different places where you can put your wagers down, but... So many of them are hard to get at from your phone, which makes live wagering difficult. It makes getting those picks in last second really difficult. Not my bookie. They are incredibly easy to use. Plus, they accept cryptocurrency and have all kinds of deposit bonuses. So make sure you check them out at mybookie.ag. I can promise you I will be all over my bookie like a fat kid on the last cupcake this weekend on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to be playing all types of crazy parlays. And one fight that has razor-thin margins, razor-thin odds, is, of course, the main event, and it's where we'll start. Daniel Cormier, the minus-115 favorite. Stipe, the minus-105 dog in this case. What Vegas is basically telling you is they really have no idea who's going to win this fight. This, of course, is a trilogy. They are one-and-one against each other. Uh, Daniel Cormier lost in the last bout via TKO to Stipe. Uh, but before that, and that was in the fourth round, the year before that, D.C., of course, Stipe coming out of the clinch uh, and won the title, and that was in the second round. Uh, the over-under on this fight is razor thin. Uh, it's basically, I believe, I don't actually have it in front of me, but I want to say it's around a minus 215 for the over, so they don't believe it's going to end quickly. Uh, I believe anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen is lying. I think this is a very tough fight to call, so I'll put you in an impossible position, Gumby. What do you think is going to happen? You see, you, you said that and you set me up like that, but I feel pretty confident in my pick on this one, and I'm going to take the underdog, Steve Amiocic, in this one. And the, the reason is really simple, is I think – Stipe did a really good job of staying out of the clinch in the after the first bout, right? Like, he got caught in the clinch in the first bout. He clearly learned his lesson. He doesn't want to be in the clinch with Daniel Cormier, where he's got a lot of power in short range with those short little stubby arms. I think he learned from that. In addition to that, as the fight second fight went on, I think he also learned about how easy it is to hit Daniel Cormier to the body and how beneficial that is against a, a guy who's, you know, not the most fit-looking guy, doesn't have a huge rack of abs or anything like that. So, like, we're looking at a situation where Stipe seems to be gaining knowledge constantly and seems to be making adjustments constantly. Meanwhile, do you really feel like Daniel Cormier is going to come out there at 41 years old and have a major adjustment in how to properly protect his body against somebody who works the body well like Stipe? I don't think so, and that's my worry. So if Stipe goes to the body early this time, rather than you know waiting until the third round to really start making headway on that, you're going to see a more tired Daniel Cormier too, and I think that that's dangerous because Cormier's other path to victory is his wrestling, which can be exhausting, especially when you're the smaller of the two guys in there. So like I see Stipe going to the body early, wearing Daniel Cormier out, making his wrestling more difficult, and and given all of that, you know I think Stipe has a very clear path to victory here. At negative 105, I, I like those odds too. You know I I was kind of hoping he would come in as a plus money underdog, but negative 105 is not a bad number here if you like the path to victory for Stipe. 
One clarification I want to make, and I agree with you that Daniel Cormier will never be accused of being an Instagram model. He does not have a rack of abs. He probably more has a rack of ribs on him at all times. But is that a phrase that you just made up, rack of abs? Because I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I came up with that off the top of my head as we were working there. So maybe we can use that one and work that in the future podcast. Um, I did have the intern pull it up, and the over two and a half rounds is minus 155 now. It's about min- minus 125 a few days ago, I believe. This is on five dimes, which is actually releasing um, odds right now. And then under two and a half rounds is plus 125. I also lean Stipe, and for all the reasons you said, I think he could work the body. He's not going to get caught with anything crazy off the clinch. But I do believe this is going to be a dogfight, and I just don't know where either of these guys are at mentally. I think they're both clearly – I mean, DC has all but said this is probably going to be his last fight. Um, and same thing with Stipe. You know, he said he chose not to work earlier in the year as the pandemic, you know, was, was just starting, and he's obviously an EMT, and that's almost like his real job, I guess. I don't know what you'd call his real job. Is that his side job or is that his real job? I don't know. But the point being, I think both guys have one foot out the door, and that's always dangerous to me and where I'd like to stay away from in betting because I just don't know what form of each of them is showing up on Saturday. And I think it's one of those things where I'll I'll have a better guess as I see them walk into the cage. And I know that's somewhat of a cop-out, but this is a razor-close fight. And to me, really tough to call. Uh, It's going to be worth noting, and we won't stay on it too long because we like to get people through fights, dogs, and parlays in a quick manner because, hey, we know you don't have three hours for a podcast. We're respectful of your time. Uh, but the UFC is marketing this as the winner becomes the GOAT heavyweight of all time. Now, Stipe, I can see that. Um, he would have – he's a three-time champion. He, Sorry, he's a two-time champion, and he's defended the belt uh, three times in a row, which is actually a UFC record. This is a division with a lot of volatility. And – he brought, um, you know, I think he, he locked it down for longer than anyone else could. And he has a high quality of opponents, of course, beating Verdum. He has a win over Alistair Overeem, who's, you know, a heavyweight Hall of Famer. DC, on the other hand, with a win would be 5-1 and one in the UFC as a heavyweight. Of course, all those wins in strike force as well. I think of him more as a light heavyweight, kind of like the A1A runner-up to John Jones at light heavyweight. He absolutely would have been a dominant champion at light heavyweight if John Jones never existed in an alternate universe. So long story short, do you consider DC the GOAT if he wins this weekend? No, I, I don't consider either of them the GOAT if they win. Uh, to, to be honest, you know, like Fedor to me, when you look at the names of the people who were in pride at that time, like you still have to put him in there. And I think people also forget what a resume Big Nog has. Because I honestly think his resume might be better than either of these two at heavyweight anyway, right? Like, he's a guy who beat, if you go back, he submitted Dan Henderson. He submitted, all of these people he's, we're talking submissions here. He submitted Dan Henderson, submitted um, Mirko Krokop. He submitted Mark Coleman, right? Like, these are major names at the time. He beat Heath Herring twice. He went to war with Fedor a bunch of times. Like, he later beat Randy Couture. He, he submitted Tim Sylvia. Like, th- this is a... I mean, he beat Fabrizio Verdum. Like, he, he's a guy who's got this incredible resume. I feel like because he wasn't in the UFC when he hit his prime, we just look at his UFC record and be like, oh, yeah, well, on the way out, he got knocked out by Roy Nelson. 
Well, like, yeah, of course he did. He, he was way past his prime. His, like, career was almost over. So, like, yeah, of course he got knocked out by Roy Nelson when he was 105 years old. But, like, you go back to him in his prime. I think his prime still winds up looking, at least on paper, whether you're talking about talent or not, that that's obviously a different question. But if you're looking at his resume on paper, I think it looks better than either of these two. And I think Fedor's looks obviously even better than his. Well, I'll tell you who's looking better and better every time we see him. It's Sean O'Malley. He's the minus 310 favorite uh, to Marlon Vera. And uh, Vera you could get if you would be so inclined, uh, if you believe in him, as a plus 255 dog. I do believe he holds a bit of an advantage on the ground. Of course, O'Malley is, I believe, the better striker. Uh, Marlon Vera is coming off a loss, it should be noted, to Song Yudong, the unanimous decision. But before that... He had reeled off a nice win streak. He had five wins in a row in the UFC uh, after a two-fight losing streak. So in his last eight fights, he's five and three. And now facing O'Malley, who, let's face it, we obviously can tell, um, has star potential. The UFC wants him to be a big star. He's coming off a brutal KO win uh, over Eddie Wineland. Uh, Beat Jose Alberto Quinones uh, via TKO before that beat Andre Sugamanov before that via unanimous decision. Uh, he's 4-0 in the UFC and looking to make it 5, and I guess you could even say he's 5-0 and if you count Dana White Contender Series, which he uh, had a KO on Dana White Contender Series and introduced himself to the UFC universe. Who you got? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Sean O'Malley here too, and, and I actually think one of the reasons why I'm going to go with him is is kind of against what you were just saying there. I'm not sure Marlon Vera has an advantage over him on the mat. I think the work O'Malley has been putting into his jiu-jitsu during those really long layoffs, I think it's clearly paid off. If you've seen him on some of the grappling competitions he's done, including in Quintet, his grappling has really come a long way. He's working with Augusto Mendez, who is a super high-level black belt. Plus, you can count all of his work with Tim Welsh and John Crouch, who are phenomenal coaches in their own right. So, like, he's a guy who put in a lot of work to his jiu-jitsu game, and I think that that, if Vera wants to go there, I'm not sure his advantage is as big as he thinks it is. So then, you know, when we were talking about on the feet, I think O'Malley has a bigger gap there in, in how much better he is than Vera. So his difference in the striking is a, is really wide, in my opinion, and their difference in grappling is not very wide at all. And when you put those two things together, yeah, you got to go with Sean O'Malley. With that being said... I am not gambling on this fight no matter what. You, you look at those numbers right there, negative 310 for Sean O'Malley, a guy who's his, literally his best opponent is Eddie Wineland at you know, 36 years old or however old Eddie Wineland is. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me. And we've been saying this about Sean O'Malley for years. Like, oh, he hasn't fought anybody yet. Oh, he only fought an old guy. Oh, yeah. That that line of reasoning sucks. And it sucks so much. But like when you're looking at betting at a guy at negative 310, that excuse being in the back of your mind is good enough for me to stay away from it on the books. With that being said, I'm still picking them here to win. That's very fair, and I do think that line is a little out of whack, albeit he is a favorite. I, I also would not want any part of that at 3-1. to one. Uh, Jorginho Roizenstrike is minus 150 favorite. JDS, a plus 130 dog here. This is a fun battle at heavyweight because – Let's just say that Stipe and D.C., regardless of who wins, what if both of them retire? We know Naganu would be in title contention. Uh, I think you'd probably match up Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. 
to see who might fight Naganu for uh, to crown a new heavyweight champion. I'm, I'm of course going down a deep rabbit hole here of what would happen if both uh, participants in the main event this weekend retire. But then Roizenstruck, with a win over JDS, would also have to feel like he's in title contention. Maybe you match up Roizenstruck versus Naganu in just a battle of boppers, you know. Uh, it's very exciting, actually, at heavyweight, because while there's not a lot of depth to the division as a whole, I think there are some exciting, somewhat newcomers with Naganu, Roizenstruck, and our boy Blades. Uh, of course, I don't know that UFC would ever want to match up Blades and Naganu for a third time. Naganu's beat him twice. But, you know, without a Naganu, I think Blades would be considered, like, the dominant up-and-coming prospect. Uh, and so, for that matter, could you say Rosenstruck? So, point being, who do you have winning this fight, and how does it play into the heavyweight picture as a whole? I, you see, I actually think this fight throws a huge wrench in the heavyweight picture because – I'm picking Junior Dos Santos in this fight, and, and the reason I'm doing so is that, yeah, you mentioned Rosenstrike. He's had a good run with the exception of, of the Naganu fight, and, and, like, the problem for me is that if you looked at that fight he fought against Alistair Overeem, Overeem did some really nasty work to him, and he fought incredibly smart against it. He fought Rosenstrike for 24 minutes and was, by all accounts, winning all five rounds on all three judges' scorecards, and he was doing it by fighting smart and not getting into a firefight. And I think that he secretly laid groundwork for somebody like Junior Dos Santos and anybody else who's a striker like Junior Dos Santos to just stay away from those big hands. Now, granted, Overeem forgot to stay away from those big hands for the last 30 seconds of the fight and wound up costing himself a win there, but I think that... Having laid that groundwork, I think Junior Dos Santos is an excellent striker and does a really great job of staying out of firefights. I mean, the, really, the only reason he got tagged by Naganu was because he was trying to stay out of a firefight and running away from him. Could have definitely done it a little bit more smartly than he did, but, uh, you know, I think Junior Dos Santos has a path to victory here by poking a jab, you know, throwing the shots when he needs to, and backing out of any, you know, long exchanges here with Rosenstrike and, and probably picking up a, th a decision win, which would be terribly boring in this case, but it also puts Dos Santos in a place where he's probably not all that far away from a title shot. Like you said, if those two guys disappear at the top of the rankings, we're talking about Junior Dos Santos on a win here being a top three guy in this division, which really, I mean, like puts him on a short list of people to fight for a title. Yeah, I, that's actually a really good point. Um, and you're right, if JDS wins, I don't even know what to make of the heavyweight division, especially if the top two guys at the top retire. All right, we'll move then to our dog of the week. It's Chris Doikis, a plus 110 over Parker Porter. Why do we like him? So I like Chris Dawkins here. I actually think Chris Dawkins uh, probably has a disadvantage on the ground in this fight, which is why he's probably going in as an underdog. With that being said, he's fought much higher level of competition fighting in CFFC down in like the New Jersey area, if you guys are familiar with that promotion. And he also has very quick hands. So we're, we're looking at a guy who's, uh, even though he's kind of a portly gentleman, he's fighting at heavyweight and has some of the quicker hands you will see out of a guy who's shaped like he is. Parker Porter, meanwhile, is a guy who has been pushed up against the cage and kind of, like, controlled a little bit in the losses he's had. Now, granted, the losses he's had on the regional scene include John Jones, Gabriel Gonzaga, and, and Josh Diekman, who's a pretty decent regional-level guy. But those first two names, I mean, one of the greatest champions of all time and a former title challenger. 
But, like, I think also in that way, he's kind of gotten a little bit older, a little bit slower. And now, like, he's even more susceptible to getting trapped against the cage and racked up with some some, uh, right hands. So I think Chris Dawkins is a smart play here, especially being as close as it is. And at heavyweight, you like to take the underdogs anyway, because crazy shit happens at heavyweight. Uh, our parlay to play is Herbert Burns, minus 275. Pair him together with TJ Brown at minus 170. And you're going to get yourself some pretty good odds. You, of course, can put that into your own uh, betting website or, uh, you know, if you're not doing it my bookie, you're doing it wrong. Uh, but why do we like these two paired together? So first of all, I will let you know that our parlay last week with Yusuf Zalal and Darren the Dentist Stewart, of course, hit. So you could pick up a plus 120 odds last week on those two. And it's right around the same this week. We're at about plus 118 with these two put together. Herbert Burns, I like for a lot of reasons. Herbert Burns is a guy who went out in his UFC debut, knocked out a knockout artist. In his second fight, he submitted a submission artist. And now we're fu- he's fighting a guy who has been out of the UFC since 2014. He's had six years out of the UFC. Sure, he's a wily veteran, but at the same time, Herbert Burns is clearly got a little bit less miles on the tank, and I think he's shown that he's going to go in there and beat everybody in every which way. Pineda likes to grapple. You don't want to grapple Herbert Burns, and I think Burns holds the advantage on the feet. So that's why you see him as such a big favorite and a good one to put in the parlay. I also like TJ Brown because he's fighting this Danny Chavez guy on short notice. And for me, when you look at Danny Chavez, Danny Chavez is a great striker. But the minute this hits the ground, TJ Brown has got such an incredible advantage grappling. So we're going to pair these two grapplers together here. Assume that both of them probably get decent, easy submission wins and pick up plus money odds on the two. Boom. Well, that wraps it up for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, why don't you give the fans what they need to know and wrap up this show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on, The Mothership, and Maroon Social, MyBookie.ag, in the Fight Forecaster app. Check all of them out. And we want to remind you guys, you can check us out at Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, as well as on Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA. You can get all kinds of extra content from the show in those places, and we highly suggest that you do. And until next time, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll see you next week.